Well, if you would, take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. We are going to finish a message we had on Wednesday night. Certainly invite you for Wednesdays where we're studying Hebrews. And it's been um, just an absolute joy. <laughs> we're still in the introduction of the book. This is going to be our fourth message on the, the book of Hebrews. And in chapter 1, we are going to finish verses 2 and 3, which we had started on the excellency of Jesus Christ on Wednesday. And we'll recap just the, the previous points, and then we'll finish looking at the way that the writer of Hebrews, which I believe is Paul, is presenting to us God the Son, the Son of God. He is presenting to us Jesus. And the rest of Hebrews is going to be expounding on the presentation which he makes here. But in chapter 1, verse 1, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this glorious day you've given us to be here. Father, as we live and breathe, as you give us this breath of life, Father, may we praise you. May our tongues exalt you. May our lives glorify you. Father, as you give me the words now to speak, may I speak the things which are true and honest and good report. Father, may you just be pleased with the message that we see here and that you, you may bless it in the each heart. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So we know that the book of Hebrews was written to the Hebrew Christians who were newer to the faith, but they were being persecuted and they were seeking, they were being persecuted by their own people, by the, the, the Jews. And so they were seeking a way to, you know, be in the middle uh, have a professed faith in Jesus Christ, but yet fall into kind of the things, the customs and the traditions of the law and the way that they were raised and religion and customs and those things. But this letter is an encouragement to the Hebrew Christians to find all fulfillment and all fullness of God in the person of Jesus Christ. They present Jesus Christ as all fullness and all fulfillment. And, and we know that it was written to the Hebrew Christians, but it was written for us. That we too should see the way that Christ has been exalted and lifted up above all things. And he gives us seven different ways that Jesus is excellent. And the first four we saw on Wednesday, we saw in verse 2, that God hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things. Now that heir of all things, that we see that uh, Jesus is the possessor of all things. Uh, all things were made by him and for him. Now to the Jew, when this is brought up, you know, to understand Hebrews is to have a, you know, you need to have an understanding of the Old Testament laws and the sacrifices and the things that were going on back then. And then how Jesus has fulfilled those things in the eyes of the Jews. 
you got to remember, this is a time that the, te the temple was still there. They were still doing sacrifices. And when it says that he has appointed Jesus heir of all things, to the Jew, that meant that Jesus had the legal birthright. Uh, he had the double portion. He had the blessing. But not that Jesus uh, came into existence at his birth. No, we know that Jesus was pre-existent. And in the second person of the Godhead, and he talks about that, by whom also he made the world. So he's excellent, not only as Jesus the heir of all things, the possessor of all things, but he's also the creator of all the worlds, of all things. And we saw that creator in Genesis 1.1 is the Hebrew word Elohim. Elohim is plural. It means that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all three, did one action. What did they do? They created it's called a plurality and unity. And, but our God, that's what Moses says, Hear, O Israel, our Lord, our God is one Lord. So we see that, yes, there is a plurality, but there's only one. And he is the second person of the Godhead. He made the world. And he goes on to say he's excellent also in verse 3. He's the brightness of God's glory. And the brightness is the effulgence. We saw that word effulgence. And it is the brightest upon bright. It almost would knock you over how bright the brightness of his glory is. And that's the thing, is he is the brightness of God's glory, his Shekinah glory. To the Jew, they knew what that meant. They knew that that was the presence of God. That that was the absolute sovereign presence of God was his Shekinah glory. That Jesus is the effulgence. And the effulgence means the ray, like a sun ray. And you can't have one without the other. You can't have the sun without a ray or a ray beam, and you can't have the ray beam without there being a sun, but yet they are distinct. So is the Father and the Son, that they are together, they are one, but yet distinct in persons. But we see he's the brightness of God's glory. And that's what John says, we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father. And, and then here's the next one, not only is he the brightness of his glory in verse 3, but he's the express image of his person. Um, the express image we know in Colossians chapter 115, it says, he is the image of the invisible God. Now, we know that man was created in God's image. Now, that doesn't mean God is flesh and blood like Adam. The image of God went to mean the, more of the attributes and the characteristics of who God is. First, you have self-consciousness. And we are the, one of the only creatures that have concepts of why we're here, rationale. And so in that way that we, we brought glory to God in his self-existence and in his free agency. The, the other way is morality. We all have an, a sense of right and wrong. Well, before Adam's sin, we were all righteous. And so we, there we brought God... We brought, Glory to God in his holiness. The third way we're in the image of God was in fellowship. We fellowshiped with God in the cool of the day. And so when sin, when sin entered, the glory of God was marred. You and I no longer see the full effulgence of the glory of God. That man is not, I mean, he is still in the image, but not the same way he used to be before sin entered. So that was the first Adam. What well, came along the second Adam, the last Adam, was Jesus Christ. And he is the image bearer of God. 
and he lived a perfect life, and he died voluntarily on the cross. He never sinned. He is the express image. What that means is the character of God. Uh, Jesus says, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. He's the image of him. And so uh, we see the second Adam, Jesus. He is the one who is righteous and has retained fellowship with God. Now, this brings us to our start point. This is where we left off. Not only is Jesus the express image of his person, but he upholds all things by the word of his power. Jesus is excellent in his administration. Now, notice that upholding, that word upholding means to support or maintain. And notice what he, up, notice what he supports or maintains. All things. Whether they be physical spiritual, visible, or invisible. We know that he had just talked about creator, or about creation. But God is just, and that word there, the upholding is present tense. That means he's doing it today. He's doing it right now. So, I mean, just not in just the physical creation, but also the spiritual of what's going on. Jesus consists of all, and, Colossians 1.17, we may turn there, there's a lot in Colossians chapter 1, but it says, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Jesus is upholding all things, he holds it together. Now imagine just for a minute, if Jesus were to relinquish control of the universe, his sustaining power of the universe. The sun has a surface temperature of 10,000 degrees. If we were any closer to the sun, we'd burn up. If we were any further away from the sun, we would freeze. The world has a perfect 23-degree tilt. If we were tilted any other way, what would happen is, is that the oceans, the, all of the um, condensation would go up north or go down south, and we would have huge frozen continents. You know, another uh, interesting part, and yes, I am geeking out a little bit on this, and this is the only place I get to do it. A April just kind of, uh, I don't know if she's listening. She has this glazed overlook. You, you know I'm not, I'm not looking at her because I want to be encouraged to keep going. Um, do I have any other uh, uh, creation geeks out there? Okay. Uh, in almost every solar system that's observed, now listen to this, Gas giants, like Jupiter, in all the solar systems observed, they are much closer to the sun. The solar system is, one of, is the only place they have found where our gas giants are far from the sun. And do you know what Jupiter is doing out there? It's capturing asteroids and meteors in its orbit before it ever reaches Earth. That's God's design. No other solar system has that except us. And if you think about the ocean floor, the ocean floor, if it were two feet deeper, or if it were feet deeper, the right mixture of carbon and oxygen would not allow plant life and animal life to live. Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power. He upholds all things. The precision, I mean, of all these things, the, earth, the, the cosmos is not chaos. It's ordered, and it's reliable, and it is controlled by Jesus. How does he control it? 
by the word of his power, with no effort. I think about that. When God created, what did he do? He spoke. No effort. He spoke everything to existence. Jesus, by the word of his power, holds all things. Scientists that are discovering great truths and amazing truths are doing nothing but discovering what Jesus has already been upholding by his power. I got thinking about this. And I love watching physicists. I say this all the time. I love watching physicists discover what God has done in a way that I'm not smart enough to. But I love to hear them talk about it. Just the precision of creation and, and all the laws which God created. And here's the thing. And you know what? It reminded me, these physicists, it reminds me of cats. Have you ever like went home in any project you do, but one day I ordered a cat tree, but I had to assemble it. So I got the box in and then I unboxed it and no sooner am I unboxing it, but then all the cats, we have three cats, they're coming around, I'm sitting in the floor and they're just curious. They're like, whoa, what's going on? This box is new. I take the cat tree out of the box and I set the box over here and as soon as I look over, there's one of the cats in the box claiming dominance of this box. And then I see the cats fighting over who's going to dominate this box. These cats are so curious. They have no idea that the pieces that I'm putting out here is not everything. There's a bigger plan for them. There's a bigger design. I'm going to build this cat tree for them, and they're going to love it, and they're going to enjoy it. But all they can think about now is this empty box that they have just claimed, and it's all mine, and they're defending, and no one else is going to get in my box. Well, then I start to work, in, and, you know, the cats, they're, they're going around, they're doing their thing, and, and they're just messing with me. And I think of the Lord. He has created all things. And here are all these physicists, these atheists, they're just skimmering around with the pieces, not understanding the whole. That Jesus is the whole. That Jesus has a new earth, a, a new heavens, all planned. And as soon as, you know what's funny, as soon as I built that cat tree, they jumped up on the cat tree and they're loving it, but they had no idea that I did it for them. They don't give me credit for that. They don't do any of that. But see, the, the, it, that's what it reminds me of. People who scamper and just looking for the little things in this life and want to hold on to it, and they're not seeing the bigger picture of what God's going to do. Ever so often, that futility will hit them. Like, man, is this really what life is? Me just scampering around looking for loose change or cheese or not understanding, not having a concept of what's bigger. Oh, but we see that the Lord, Jesus, by the word of his power, all things consist. Not just physical creation, but spiritual. All things spiritual. Now think of Philippians. Aren't you glad that Jesus holds your salvation in his hands? And by the word of his power, it is preserved. We persevere because we are preserved by the word of God's power. In John, um, we see that he says, Now unto him that is able to keep you, no, this is Jude, sorry. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God our Savior, 
Be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. I, ho I hope you caught that. That's Jude 124. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless, present you faultless before the presence of his glory. Only he can do that. Remember, we talked about his glory, how bright it was. Knock you over bright. Are you going to be faultless before him? The only way you can be is through Jesus. Because he's the one that has to present you faultless. Because of who he is. He's so much better. He's, he's everything. He's everything. Um, he upholds all things by the word of his power. He's excellent in his administration. But look, he's also excellent in his sacrifice. When, in verse 3, he had, notice these words and, and weigh them. When he had by himself purged our sins. What is this talking about? Not just the excellence of Jesus, but he is excellent because he is sufficient. His work he did himself is sufficient for all time. It's not his work plus mine. He himself purged our sins. Now how important is it to have your sins purged? Now here's the question. Here's where it all comes down to right now. And then I'm going to get real... Simple, with the word of God. You cannot have sin in the presence of God. When you die, you will be judged. You will stand before God and you cannot have any sin. Not more good than bad. If you have any bad, you can't be there. So, to stand before God, you need two things. One, no sin at all. Or two, to have your sins forgiven or erased. All right, so how, do, how, how are you going to do that? What are you going to do? Well, are you, I mean, are you going to, even if you start today not sinning, you still have sin on your record. You still have sin from yesterday and the day before yesterday and the day before yesterday. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Word of God says, the soul that sins must die. There's going to be no, uh, okay, you did more good than bad. How many, how many of the devil deceiving of that? They don't see the stark reality of what this is. That if you have one sin in your account, you will die. And that is a second death. Well, the only way to have your sins forgiven, so I, I need to go with option two. So do you all. I've got to have my sins forgiven. It's called purged. I've got to have my sins forgiven and erased. The only way to do that is through Jesus Christ. And that's what it says in verse 3. He had by himself purged our sins. No one else in history purged your sins. No, you cannot purge your sins. He is the only one who can purge your sins. And if you don't have your sins gone by the time you reach the Lord, if your sins are not gone, He's going to cast you into the lake of fire, paying for those sins. 
So, here we go. The word purge means cleanse, purified. Um, justice demands my soul to eternal punishment. Mercy sought to aid me, but grace personified stepped in as my substitute. Now here's the question. Are my sins really forgiven? Are your sins really purged? Are they? John says this, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that you have eternal life. Psalm 103.11 says, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Chapter 10, look at Hebrews chapter 10, just over a few pages. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17. Well, look at uh, verse 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Verse 17, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Isn't that comforting? Isn't that comforting to know that, yes, my sins are purged. They're purged because of the sufficiency of Jesus Christ and his finished work on Calvary. And that he rose again the third day, giving witness and testimony to all with power that he is the Son of God. And I'm justified. And his work is complete. Now, to the Jew, think about what this means. They're used to sacrifices. Now, if we were to go back in the Old Testament and look in Leviticus, there were five main sacrifices that they had. There was the burn offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, and the trespass offering. Now, some of those offerings are mandatory. Some of those offerings were voluntary. The ones that, one particular that was mandatory was the sin offering. The sin offering was the one that they would do once a year and that the priest had to go in, uh, priest after the order of Aaron, or Aaron the priest would go in. They would, um, only the fat and the blood was offered on the altar. And when the sin offering was for the whole congregation, the rest was burned outside the camp. Now, they, now Christ has fulfilled all these offerings. But let's look at how he fulfilled the sin offering. In the sin offering, or this is during the Day of Atonement, there's two goats. One was slain. One of the goats was slain, sacrificed, and the blood was put on the altar seat. Right? This was to appease the wrath of God. The other goat, the priest would put his hands on his head, and that he would impute the sins of the people upon the head of the goat, and that send the goat off into the wilderness. And this was called the scapegoat. The scapegoat would bear the sins of the people in that he would be gone and remembered no more, except they had to do it once a year. The scapegoat was never enough. 
The, the, the blood of bulls and goats was never enough. So you had two goats during the sin offering. One was slain and the blood put on the altar seat. One bore the, bore the sin of the people and went into the wilderness. Jesus has fulfilled both of these because one of these is propitiation and the other one is expiation. Propitiation is the covering of the blood of Jesus Christ. He is my sacrifice. He's my substitute. He was slain and smitten of God on the cross. The blood was shed, and he's my propitiation. He's my atonement. That's what that means. He's my covering of my sins. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The scapegoat was for the expiation of my sins. Gone, 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 gone. Yes, my sins are gone. And Jesus did it once for all. Once for all he did it. For all time, for all eternity. He, did, he is not like the, the, the others. He's the better sacrifice. It's not a temporary sacrifice. But oh, it had just the beauty and the marvel of this, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, he brought an end. Now, to the Jew, they knew Daniel. They knew that he brought in, the ceased, the, he ceased the oblation and brought in everlasting righteousness. To Isaiah, to the Old Testament, and to the, the Jew, that Jesus was the Messiah who was smitten, slain of God in Isaiah chapter 53. He was bruised and chastised for our peace that he bore our griefs and our sorrows upon the cross. Did you know that sin causes sorrow? It causes grief. Jesus not only bore my sin, he bore the grief of my sin. He bore the sorrow of my sin. I can have victory because of his victory. I don't have to bear the grief and the sorrow of sin. He bore it all. All I need to do now is look forward to him coming and getting me. Because that's what's going to happen next. He is full and he's a fulfillment. He is everything. Only the Lamb of God can purge your sins. Only he himself. That's what it says in verse 3. Oh, but look at the last thing. What did he do when he was done? What did he do at the cross when he said, Telesta, it is finished. He sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So much more different than the priest, the earthly priest on earth. The earthly priest, did you know there was no chairs in the temple? There was no chairs in the temple. There was no chairs in the Holy of Holies. Priests did not sit down. Their administration was never done. The priests had to keep moving or God killed them. They had these bells, and they had to keep ringing. Actually, they had to walk in with a rope. And if, they, if you stopped hearing the bells ringing in the Holy of Holies, they had to pull him out with the rope because he was dead. Nobody was allowed in the Holy of Holies except the high priest, and that once a year. So if he stopped moving, they had to pull him out with a rope because they couldn't go in to get him. Here is a, what in the Jews, to the, to the mind of the Jews, our high priest, the better priest, the priest after the order of Melchizedek, Jesus, our high priest, is finished his work. It's complete. There's no more ministration of the sacrifices. He once for all went into the Holy of Holies. And there he put his blood there for the atonement. 
He once for all was a scapegoat that as far as the east is from the west, so are my sins. Remember no more. And that's what God said. Their sins and iniquity will I remember no more. Praise the Lord. He has purged my sins. Oh, I, I can have hope. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. I hope you're going to heaven. I hope you know without a shadow of a doubt that you're going to heaven because you have no doubt in Jesus. That's it. People doubt themselves all the time, and you should. I'm no good. I, I, we lost that, right? I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm just a sinner that God has put his mercy upon me, and you know what? I better be quick to return my praise to his mercy, my praise to his grace, not praise to myself for being better, thinking better, doing better, living this, sacrificing this, having a life like this. I, if my eyes are on myself and I start praising myself, you need to get your heart right because only God will be glorified. No person will stand before God's throne in glory in their flesh. We'll all praise him. The excellency of his exaltation. There are four visualizations to him sitting down. He sat down with honor. He has sat down on the right hand of God with authority, all authority. Jesus said, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even them that believe on his name. That word power is authority. John chapter 1. You all know that verse. That word is authority. Jesus has the authority. We saw in Sunday school, God has given Jesus all authority. Yes. He's given him authority as the judge, as the king, as the priest, as the prophet. All things Jesus has fulfilled, and he is all things. He has the, uh, another visualization is he has sat down from his labor, and he has entered into a perfect rest. And we too can enter into his rest. There's no more work to do. There's no work for me to do. If there's no more work for him to do, there's no more work for me to do. The work which we work is the work of faith. And we put our faith in him, in his work, in his completion, his sufficiency, his value. The last thing, he sat down on the right hand of God, which is a place of power, and he intercedes for us. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. Well, what does this mean? What do these excellencies of Jesus mean? It means everything. To reject him will be to be shut out from his presence into an eternal hell. To receive him, you will enter in into all that he is and all that he has. There are no other choices. Jesus is the fulfillment and the fullness of God. He is excellent in his name. He's the heir of all things. He's the creator. He's the brightness of God's glory. He's the very express image of God. He is the sustainer of all things, even our salvation. We persevere because we are preserved. He has preserved our, my salvation. He is our sacrifice. He's, our, he's not only our atonement, he's our propitiation, but he's also the scapegoat who had bore our griefs and our sorrows and our sins where God remembers them no more. And last of all, he is exalted. He is excellent in his exaltation. And one day, he is coming for us. One day, he's coming again. 
And that's what he said. He has all power. And he's going to call every person out of the grave. Every person, whether they're believers or unbelievers, whether they died, believers or unbelievers, everybody will hear his voice. All will come. There'll be the resurrection of the just and the resurrection of the unjust. One will be before the judgment seat of Christ, the bema of Christ, the believers, and the unbelievers will be before the great white throne where we see that those who were not found written in the Lamb's book of life were cast into the lake which fire, or burneth with fire. Well, I hope you're saved today. Look to him in faith if you have not. Make that choice today. If the Lord's speaking with your heart or it's troubling you, unsettling you, come find me and if you need to, we'll talk. And I'll, I'll tell you this. Most everybody in here has something in common. One day the Lord saved them and they came down the aisle and they professed Jesus Christ with their mouth. You must profess Jesus Christ as your Savior openly. Openly, not privately, not in shame. Openly. And we'll rejoice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your eternal word. Lord, we, we thank you for your promises. We thank you for the hope of eternal life. Father, we know that all of your promises are built on a sure foundation of Jesus Christ. For he is your last word. He's the fulfilled word. He is all things. He's the culmination of history. He is our high priest, our prophet, our priest, our king. Father, we thank you, Lord, for saving us. But Father, we do pray for those who do not know you. That they don't have the peace which you bring them through the Holy Spirit. Father, I do pray that you'll just do your work and we'll give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.